Earth 2, a world much like our own, yet slightly different. There, young and old have joined forces to battle evil, the newest heroes joining the champions of the Golden Age, presenting Tales of the Justice Society of America. about podcasting the most is doing it naked you know it's just it's very liberating i think but you know that's something that that i don't really want the, the listeners to be aware of so just keep that between us I, that's not something i wanted to be aware oh, of oh, so god oh 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 it's in my head now i'm too. sorry oh. so oh. let me know when we're, and we've met oh let me know when we're recording oh i'll, I'll let you know when we're recording we're recording now. oh okay all right <clears throat> Welcome to Episode 9 of Tales of the Justice Society of America. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you enjoy the show. I am Scott Gardner, slowly dying of a cold, and joining me is... Michael Bailey, who is just taking a big sip of Dr. Pepper. <laughs> it's on sale at Walmart. You get four cans for a dollar. All right, you have to promise to give us the good Dr. Pepper belches as they come up, so... <laughs> I actually don't get the Dr. Pepper. Oh, I do, man. That and A&W root beer, man. I sound like a fucking Wookiee. <laughs> I sound like a Marvel Comics Wookiee, specifically. Borg. <laughs> Grark. You have to feel bad for those writers who had to write Chewie's dialogue. I, no, I'm, I'm, they make me very happy because reading that shit cracks me up every time. And to actually read Chewbacca dialogue out loud is one of life's great joys. It's not your wife. It's not your family. It's not time spent with friends. It's reading Chewbacca dialogue. There you go. Ah, oh, God, you know we're dorks. Uh, <laughs> That's probably so, uh, what my tombstone's going to end up saying, is that motherfucker could read some Chewbacca dialogue. <laughs> I don't know. That's a lot of wording. <laughs> That's <a> true. Thing. <laughs> It'll just be roar. <laughs> Everyone who knows you will know what it means. And like 500 years from now, people will be excavating the, the site, and it's like, what is roar? Yeah, what the fuck is that all about? <laughs> oh, I love it. Oh my God! So what? Are, what the hell are we doing this episode? I can't even remember where are we start. Well, um, you know, I've got the I've got the second to last All Star number three story. Unless you had something else, you run with it, man. Run with it. All righty. This one is the Adam story, and I've always been a fan of the Adam because he is a short superhero. Um, and I am rather. I'm not petite. I'm kind of a husky. Oh Jesus, man! You you beat that bit. short thing to death. You you make it sound like you're a fucking pygmy or something. Now, I've met you, and you're not that short. <laughs> you're just short enough, <laughs> dude. Your 12 year old is taller than me. <laughs> <laughs> of course, you're a tall. You 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 and your wife are tall. Come from tall people. So me and my wife, I think I think we're trying to create a race of Shetland people. <laughs> sure, so. But uh, this is an Adam story. It is written by Bill O'Connor with art by Ben Flitton. That's a hard one to say for some reason. Uh, the Adam begins with an even bigger chip on his shoulder than Sandman had. 
And he apparently forgets what Sandman says, because he goes, you probably all know that I'm called the Atom because I'm so small, and I'm the only one of us who does not have supernatural powers, except for Sandman, who said that like eight pages ago. (laughs) In everyday life, I am Al Pratt, a quiet sophomore at Calvin College. (laughs) And then he starts to go on, I'm picked on everyone. And, you know, it's just... Really and truly, it would take him just kicking the shit out of one of those jocks once in front of everybody, mm-hmm. and people would stop giving him shit. <laughs> I mean, seriously, one of them walking up, hey, short, oh, God! <laughs> you want some of this? Come on! I should have done that in high school. Maybe I wouldn't have gotten so much shit. And he's in love with a girl named Mary James, who likes the Adam, but can, you know, give two shits about Al Pratt, because she doesn't know his secret identity yet. He's on a class geology expedition when he sees a plane land nearby. He sees the men are the men inside are going to rob an armored car that is coming up the road and just sits there and watches as the car pulls over and the men force the soldiers to give up their uniforms, which sounds a lot creepier than it is. I'm sorry, I, I, I'd be nervous if I'm on a backcountry road and someone pulls over and says, take off your clothes. I, <laughs> but then again, we live in Georgia. Yeah. So, deliverance. Yes. Um, two of the men put on the uniforms, and the Adam follows them, though his attempt to jump on the truck does not go as planned. He jumps on the truck and immediately falls over and knocks himself unconscious. So not only is short, he's a really bad superhero. <laughs> they continue on and rob the gold deposita- depository and get away clean. The Adam is found by Mary, and how embarrassing would that be? You're in costume. And the girl comes and wakes you up. It's just, I'm supposed to be saving you, not you coming here because I hit myself on the head. And after some chit-chat about how Al Pratt isn't all that bad of a guy, he spots the men returned. He sends Mary to call the police, and the Adam jumps into the, to the back of the truck and takes out all of the gangsters. Meanwhile, upon hearing the ruckus... <laughs> I love this. The drivers in front go, gee, you must be giving the boys in back a tough ride. Listen to them bunch of bouncing and hollering. Yeah, let them yell. We got to get back to the plane. So they get. So when they get back to the plane, Adam takes out the rest of the gangsters and the police arrive. And a cop tells Mary that the Adam saved the government almost $20 million. And then the story's over. Um, The Flash takes a message from the FBI chief who wants to see a rep from the JSA immediately. And Hawkman, the one that can fly, you know, says, well, Flash should go. (laughs) Because he can get down there so fast. And after some prodding from the rest of the group, you know, you don't watch Family Guy, do you? No. There was an episode of Family Guy where they met Kiss. (laughs) And apparently Lois dated Gene Simmons at one point. Lois. I don't believe it. It's Menages. Hey, guys, this is the girl I told you about. You know, I knew her before we formed Kiss. Luce Lois. Cool, Luce Lois. A legend herself. My grand slam was supposed to be with sausage. And when I look at this final panel where they're telling the Flash to go, I really wanted it to be Dr. Fate saying, the Flash it is, Spectre going right, Adam going hop to it, Flash, and the Hour Man going, my grand slam was supposed to come with sausage. <laughs> I've got a. I, see, I can't scan this book though because it's a hardcover and that it's right near the page. Somebody needs to Photoshop that for me. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. See the the re- whatever the hell reprint CBR I'm looking at it is not. It's definitely edited. It does not have the same material that yours has because at the end of the Adam story, 
the very last panel is him and Johnny Thunder together, and, and Johnny Thunder is saying, that was a swell story. And then the next page is a panel of Johnny Thunder and Green Lantern together, and then a panel yeah, of Green Lantern. An entire yeah, and it goes into... Whose story is this? Who the hell story? Oh, okay, it's a Green Lantern story. God, he doesn't even appear yeah. for like two pages. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we're gonna get into that next time. Yeah, because that's actually not a bad. Story. So yeah, this is definitely edited. So it's it's got that whole chunk you're talking about them being around the table isn't even in. in the- Why would they? Did it seems to me if you're gonna do a digital copy of a comic, you would do everything, including the ads. Well, the the simple fact that this is so white and and. You know, very colorful, and you know, there's no like fading or yellowing or anything. It tells me that this is from a reprint. I just don't know what reprint it's actually from. Oh, okay. So it's probably it maybe that the reprint, yeah, didn't have it. Okay, that makes yeah. Sense. The reprint makes, is, is edited, I believe. So, but yeah. Okay, wow, this the art on that Adam story is it's better than some of the other stories that we've we've looked at so far, though. <clears throat> Overall, it's shit, though. Yeah, <laughs> it is. For a, compared to other Golden Age art, it's not as good. One thing I, I noticed about this, though, that I've never really noticed before is that... Now, I, I've always hated the Adam's outfit. I, you know, the character yeah. itself is kind of a neat idea that he's a little picked-on dude that decides that, all right, I'm going to be a superhero, and I'm basically going to take my frustrations about being a little picked-on dude out on criminals. That's kind of a cool I, idea, I think. But... His outfit is shit. He's basically got a Mexican wrestler's outfit with Superman boots. But what I was noticed... I'm sorry? It's more of a weightlifter's outfit, because the belt he's wearing is like that belt that people who do, like, power... Yeah, you're right. ...wear around their waist. But what I noticed for the first time in this story... Now, that blue mask that he's got with the with the cape coming off of it the way it's drawn here he has almost like spider-man eyes mm-hmm. and i really like that look it actually makes him look kind of spooky it makes him look a little bit yeah. creepy and if they could have done something a little bit better with his outfit i think he, he could have had a serious like spooky spider-man-ish kind of thing going on that would have worked a lot better for him than this just goofy looking i i think his outfit's just plain silly looking really no, his outfit looks like somebody put on a weightlifting outfit and threw a blue mask and cape on, right? And some really stupid boots. Uh, you know, I I have always preferred the version Mike Parabek drew in that 1992 series because even even the costume that would come later in the Golden Age and that would come later in All Star Squadron looked goofy because he had bare legs. Is that the one and that was more like the Cyclotron outfit? Is that yes. the one? Yeah. And there's only one character in the history of comics that's male that looked good with bare legs, or that the costume looks good. And that's Robin. Right. The classic Robin costume. Right. Otherwise, male characters just sh- should be wearing pants. I'm sorry. Right. Even Robin should be wearing pants. I mean, that was the upgrade when Tim Drake got his costume. And that's what I want to see. I want to see the like the, the deleted scene of... Uh, of Tim Drake looking at the new costume right before he's getting ready and going, oh, thank God it has pants. (laughs) Well, actually, you know what makes this this Adam costume look that much worse is I was wrong. It's not really Superman boots. It's really Wonder Woman boots. It's what he's got. (laughs) The Adam is telling us something. (laughs) She has such nice boots. Even though the Wonder Woman came later, she hasn't even premiered yet. She's got it's five issues later. Oh, the first issue, okay, the first appearance of Wonder Woman. So, well, I mean, I I do I do like the concept of the character though. 
I just I just don't care for the execution as far as the the uniform, but the I- idea is kind of neat. But no, I, I I think that not every superhero has to be super powered. I, I think that there, especially at this time, back in the 30s and 40s, mm-hmm. I think that there's plenty of room for an Indiana Jonish kind of character, and that's very much what the Atom is in this story. This is very reminiscent of Indy climbing onto the the army trucks, you know, the Nazi mm-hmm. trucks, and beating the hell out of Nazis and throwing them off when he's trying to get the Ark. That's very much what this story is. It's just that he's got a silly fucking outfit to do it in. That's all. <laughs> yeah, and no one really knows what to do with no one knows what to do with the costume, and no one knows what to do with him. Right? Roy Thomas is the only writer that has ever written the Adam to my satisfaction, because he had a chip on his shoulder, but he was still a real character. And every subsequent writer that has dealt with Al Pratt, especially in the 40s, has always just wanted to make him the short little guy with a Napoleon complex. Right. And while I think that's an important part of his personality, it shouldn't be everything about him. Otherwise, he's going to be unlikable. He had a, he, had, he had many, many good moments, and I can't wait to get to them in All-Star Squad. Right. Mm-hmm. And Rick Buckler, when he was drawing the title, really nailed the Adams costume and the mask and actually made you think there was a face under there because he drew, like, the outlines of the chin and the cheeks and stuff. Right. Where here, it just looks like somebody drew a balloon and put eyes on right. it. But I think that's so. cool, though. I, I honestly really like that look because it's very it's very enigmatic. It's very Spider-Man-ish because Spider-Man, honestly, I like Spider-Man best when it's the, the webbed kind of bubble head with the eyes so that you don't really get a definable mouth or nose or ears or anything. It's really just kind of a balloon with those creepy eyes. And that's very much the same thing Adam's got going on here. I like it. I think it's a really good look for him. It's just that from the neck down, the rest of it just doesn't... <laughs> It's crap. Yeah, it is. It's crap. It, he, he looks like a, a, a little kid that made up his own superhero outfit and went out to fight. And if, if they had done, if they'd put a little more effort into his outfit, you know, th- but that's the problem, though, is that, you know, we're, we're used to the Adam, whereas the Adam is is the gimmick. You know, he reduces to the size of Adam yeah. and all that. Whereas this guy, you know, he's he's an Adam because he's tiny. He's just yeah. short. So, I mean, yeah. how do you come up with a costume motif that says, I'm a short dude fighting crime? You know, <laughs> it's kind of hard to do. You know what I just noticed? Holy shit! He attacks that fucking guy with a pick. <laughs> I just yes. noticed that. I mean, uh, an, an inch over, and he'd have, he'd have picked that guy right in the top of that. Now that's the panel I want to see is where he misses because it's got him <laughs> catching the guy by his collar with the pick. But what if he'd actually planted that pick like right in the top of the guy's skull? That would be cool. <laughs> It was a good story, though. For a Golden Age story, this is actually pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, it's it's pretty indicative of the Golden Age stories. You know, it's it's not a giant plot, you know, that takes 16 issues to tell. He just happens to he happens upon a bunch of people going to steal some gold from the government, and he stops it. Well, at least it's not insurance fraud again. Yeah, no shit. <laughs> I got sick of the insurance fraud. Oh, my God. There must have been a lot of insurance frauders back in the late 30s, early 40s is all I can... Well, there there probably was. You know, it was the Depression. So. <laughs> this, is, this is true. <laughs> You know, if I can make a couple hundred thou from burning down my house and killing my family, you know. Well, there you why go. Why the hell not? <laughs> it's like the Ferengi say, never let family stand in the way of profit, you know. 
I cannot believe I just quoted the fucking Ferengi, by the way. Yeah, I'm, I, I'm, I'm, I'm surprised you didn't try to do it like you had buck teeth, because that's how <laughs> the, those freaking denture things that they have to wear to make their grill all jacked oh, up. Oh, God. Well, speaking of which, I, I, I want to apologize to the audience right now that I'm actually, I have a cough drop, a throat drop in my mouth while I'm doing this, and I normally, podcasters that have, like, gum or whatever as their, I'm like, what the hell's wrong with it? Where's your professionalism? But if you want to continue to hear my voice, I've got to take these things because I'm fucking dying here. And I'm afraid I'm going to lose my voice in the middle of a show. So I apologize deeply, but it's a necessary evil at this point. All righty. All-Star Comics number 65. Sweet. All right. Are we ready to dig right in? Yeah, let's go right for it. Okay. I like this issue, and I'll discuss why in just a moment. All-Star Comics number 65. This is the March-April 1977 issue, creeping up on the release date of Star Wars, by the way. Woohoo! Wait a minute. Is that right? March-April... Yeah, okay, that's right. For some reason, I've got two years listed here, and I don't know why. Okay, I'm, my notes are a little bit screwy. Okay, cover by Wally Wood. Still using the uh, with the Super Squad thing, but I believe that this is it. I think this is the last issue that directly references the Super Squad, so I'm happy about that. Yes, indeed. The cover depicts. I really like the cover. In this one. It's kind of a simple art style. I'm not the biggest Wally Wood fan, but this one's kind of cool. It's uh, Vandal Savage just whopping the shit out of uh, Superman. He's also like backhanding the star-spangled kid. Power Girl and uh, and Hawkman are either rushing in or standing by and letting this happen, but it's pretty cool. I'm not getting involved. <laughs> I don't see this. I don't see this. <laughs> so uh, we got Paul Levitz on dialogue, Wally Wood, plot and art. Original cover price was 30 cents. Stories entitled The Master Plan of Vandal Savage. There is no ro- roll call in this issue, but I made one up for you. This one has Power Girl, Superman, The Flash, Green Lantern, Hawkman, The Star Spangled Kid, Wildcat, and Our Man. Okay, the synopsis on this one is Power Girl and Superman. They were trapped in an energy energy bubble at the end of the last issue, as you recall. They put their heads together and they theorized that if they attack the bubble from opposite sides, that they just might shatter it. This actually works, and the Kryptonian cousins find themselves in a super cool-looking futuristic city where they are immediately attacked by a flying robot-type thing that Superman makes quick work of. When he lands, he finds Power Girl has already made friends with one of the natives, tells the pair that Savage has tyrannized their world, destroyed the government, killed the leaders, and enslaved the people. He promises to lead our heroes to Savage, but instead he leads them into this tunnel where there's an antimatter death trap approaching them from both ends. Turns out that this guy was just a projected image after all, and all this was a ruse to ensnare Superman and Power Girl. Back in Camelot, the Flash is freed the real King Arthur, who tells Flash that he overheard Vandal Savage speaking of traveling 20,000 years to see Flash's teammates die. The Flash takes off, running through the time barrier, which is something I didn't realize that he could actually do unaided, and uh, he runs into the distant future. Checking back in with uh, Superman and Power Girl, the antimatter is closing in, and the pair is getting dizzy and weak when Superman says, enough with this horse shit, and simply smashes through the wall of the tunnel that they are trapped in. The antimatter collapses Lides and causes a massive explosion. A giant Vandal Savage floaty head appears and menaces our heroes. I love giant floaty heads, by the way. It's not really a comic book without at least one giant head. Guilty. <laughs> yeah, yeah, guilty. <laughs> Power Girl is taken out and captured by another one of these flying robot things, and Superman 
tries his best to jump up and free her, but finds that his powers are failing, and he comes crashing to the ground. Meanwhile, the Flash, now 20,000 years in the past, is getting kind of pissed off with all this running around and wearing out his footwear, when suddenly he <sighs> theorizes that maybe Savage meant that he was traveling 20,000 light years, at which point he just says, ah, fuck it then, and he goes back to Camelot. <laughs> Oh, that's a long way. Yeah. <laughs> so, in Gotham City, a bunch of corporate assholes have taken Green Lantern's business away from him, the Go- Gotham Broadcasting Corporation, and uh, he's really bummed about this. A mysterious figure shows up and speaks very cryptically uh, to uh, Green Lantern about there being no justice in the world and about Green Lantern's despair conquering him. More on this next issue. Now, did you know who this guy was? Not until I read next okay, issue. Yeah, me neither. I couldn't, I couldn't figure out who he was. But I liked that. Yeah, I did too. I was trying I liked to that I had forgotten. Uh, let's see. Back on Savage's world, Superman, apparently having uh, been captured off-panel, is having the shit beaten out of him by giant robots. Savage is watching all this via view screen and explains to the captive Power Girl that uh, he built all of this to trap Superman. He intends to steal Superman's superhuman life force in hopes of restoring his lost immortality. And so begins an epic knockdown, drag-out fight between super, uh, Superman and Vandal Savage. This is a very Kirk-esque <laughs> yes, it is. I can hear the da, 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 music in the background. So, however, while Savage fights, his hold over Merlin slips, and the wizard snaps out of his enthrallment. Uh, he arms a now wingless uh, Hawkman with a blaster and sets him free. A robot shows up, blasts Merlin back to the past, and Hawkman beats a hasty retreat. There's this really beautifully drawn page of Hawkman. Again, he's minus his wings during this part, so he can't fly. He throws himself off a ledge and he, like, plummets down into the canyons of this futuristic city. It's really nicely drawn and very impressive. I actually get, like, a touch of vertigo just looking at the panels. It, ah. Yeah, I, I like it, though. It's really a cool thing that, you know, he's, he, you know, despite the fact that he doesn't have wings, he still jumps off this building. I think that's pretty cool. So he escapes uh, with the robots in hot pursuit. Now, it, it took me a minute to realize, I was trying to figure out, now, wait a minute, how did Hawkman get here? But uh, I'll, I'll come back to that in a minute, because I was a little bit thrown back. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot in this issue that means. Yeah, exactly. So anyway, he makes his way to Savage's lab, which he figures out the location of because it's the uh, it's the building that's throwing off the most energy. And he locates the Star Spangled Kid, who was another one. I was like, how the hell did he get here? So evidently, Hawkman and Star Spangled Kid were brought to the future after Savage shot them. But. Why was the Flash left in Camelot was my question. He brought everybody else. Why the hell did he leave the Flash behind? I didn't really understand that. So uh, Hawkman frees the Star-Spangled Kid, and the Star-Spangled Kid fashions Hawkman a new set of wings, and they set out to help Superman, who is receiving a real ass-kicking from Vandal Savage at this point. Uh, Hawkman distracts Savage while the Star-Spangled Kid tends to Superman. Savage gets bored of chasing Hawkman all over the place because Hawkman just keeps flying out of range and taunting him. And Savage returns to the arena to find a reinvigorated and helmeted Superman waiting for him. Star Spangled Kid had fashioned Superman a suit to protect him from these rays that have been draining him. So Star Spangled Kid... Is he MacGyver? <laughs> he uses a paper clip and some bubble gum. So the Star Spangled Kid goes and frees Power Girl. Uh, Superman finally gains the upper hand in battle with Savage, and when his robots rush, rush in to defend their master, Superman brings the house down all Samson-style, really 
Oh, it's so awesome. Yeah, really, it's cool. So Savage uh, flees with Superman in hot pursuit when suddenly this, like, black hole-looking warp thing opens up in front of uh, Vandal Savage, and these two shadowy figures pull him in and disappear. Superman says that he doesn't think that this was part of Savage's plan, that the strangers seem to just drag him in. And uh, he also says that, you know, well, I don't think we'll be seeing him again. I'm like, yeah, think again, super dude. (laughs) And an epilogue that's uh, actually mislabeled as a prologue, which I got a real kick out of. Wildcat comes strolling in to check on Our Man when the man of the hour blasts him with some kind of whammy gun. Uh, Our Man is revealed to be under the thrall of the icicle and his injustice society. So what'd you think of this one, man? Um, is it me or does Power Girl look like a little kid on that first page? Let's see here. First page. That first panel where you yeah. see her face. Yeah, the second panel. Yeah. Yeah, she does. She looks very, very young right there. But I do like the fact that they're teaming up and, and, and not bickering and just being like, hey, let's let's get the job done. You know, I, I, I'm not much on this futuristic setting. It's actually like the one downfall because... Like I like I said last episode, I, I'm just not that much on on these types of settings. I'm not a I'm not really into this type of science fiction. Though, is it me or does the the projection that they follow look like a Scottish Kryptonian from the prequel? <laughs> yes, he does. He's wearing a he's wearing a skirt, but he's got that circle on his chest. Um, here's my question, my first nitpick: How in the hell did the Flash get free? Yeah, they never, never address that. You know, I, I'm almost left with the impression that, that Savage blasted him at the end of the last issue. Then he took off with uh, with Hawkman and Star Spangled Kid, went to the future, but left the Flash just laying there on the floor so that when he comes to, he can just do whatever he wants to do, you know, like setting King Arthur free. Uh, yeah, it, it didn't make any sense to me at all. It really didn't. And can the Flash, this Golden Age Flash, can he really run through time all by himself? Yeah. Yeah, he could. Oh, okay. He was still able to do that. I thought that. That he needed, like, the, the cosmic treadmill or some bullshit to do that. No, he, he needs whatever the writer needs him to need. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> would, would this story have worked better if this had been either Earth, like, way in the future, or even... I, I just suddenly hit upon an idea. When you said this dude looked like a Kryptonian, this would have actually been cool if somehow... You know, because there, I skipped over a part of the story, and I, I purposely skipped over it because it fucking annoys me. Is this part where Vandal Savage explains to Power Girl that the thing that's draining their powers is that it has kryptonite suns, which I thought, come on, that's just fucking stupid. So, wouldn't it be cooler if this futuristic world that they were on was somehow like Krypton before it had been destroyed? I think that actually would have been a neater idea that that Savage had gone back in time, enslaved Krypton, and then brought Superman and Power Girl there to do whatever the hell he's doing. I don't know. I think that would have worked better for me. It would have made the fight between the two of them a little more interesting. Mm-hmm. Though I don't know how Star Spangled Kid at all of them would have been able to walk around. Uh, well, I guess, you know, he's got the converter belt and, 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 and Hawkman's got the nth metal. So <laughs> that, uh, however you pronounce that, I think it's nth. Not quite sure. So I said nth. I don't, I don't know. I like the uh, tease with Green Lantern. It was just, you know, it's three panels, but it, it's it, it's continuing that JSA tradition of, hey, something's coming up. Look at here. Okay, now back to the story. Very good. The characters are a little wonky on that page, though, because Flash looks, I don't know, like, Agent. yeah, yeah, he does. And then uh, the second panel of GL, he looks like he's about, like, 15 years old, so... <laughs> 
I don't know. I'm not knocking it. I do. I do like the art in this, but it's it's uh, it's, it's a little inconsistent. Yeah. Is 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 the problem? I mean, Superman looks. I mean, the one pe- the one thing I really don't like is I do not like Vandal Savage's costume. I love his black outfit. Mm-hmm. I think it's a classic look for the character. And now he's just re- he's just basically wearing generic green sci fi suit. He looks like the Molecule Man from Marvel. <laughs> Ah, oh, but man, he and he and Superman really go at mm-hmm. it. It's just great. Just, just going toe to toe. And it kicks him right in the face. Good God. But this did this did. I I I uh I wasn't kidding when I said it reminded me of a Kirk fight. Oh yeah. Uh, all all we really needed was Superman running up to him and hitting him with both feet. He should have done one shoulder Perfect. roll in here somewhere. Yeah, one shoulder that's all I want is one shoulder. <laughs> Now, I, I I have a real sentimental soft spot for this story because I'm pretty sure that this was the first issue of All-Star I ever owned. Uh-huh. So the first collection I ever bought was uh, – there was an ad in our local paper when I was a kid. And I was probably maybe 11 years old at most. And there was an ad in the paper. I was just starting to get interested in comics, and, and somebody was selling a collection of comic books. So I went to their house and bought them. I, I literally dragged it home in this giant trash bag of all these comic books I had bought. And the vast majority of them were coverless. And so I actually have a coverless copy as well as you know my nice this, – this one I'm holding in my hands is almost pristine mints. Beautiful condition. I don't remember where I got it. I got it a couple of years ago when I was trying to replace all of the coverless comics in my collection. But I actually kept my coverless copy because I had such sentimental attachment to that issue of this yeah, number 65. I really wish I would have kept my original copy of Superman number 8 in Action 591, but uh... – but I bought new copies when I wore those out. Yeah, there's, there's just something charming about having an old, old comic that's all just whipped to shit, mostly because you whipped it to shit. You know that you yeah. read it and loved it so much that it fell apart, and you know that that All Star sixty five was already coverless, but then I just read the hell out of it too. So, to me, I'm more familiar with page one as the cover to this issue than I am with the actual cover to it. It actually looks funny to me to see a cover on this because I was just so used to that you know that first page being what I saw when I dug the issue out to look at it but you know despite you know my, my sentimental attachment and all you know I, I can still see kind of you know see past the, the the goofy elements of the story this is kind of a, a weak one I have to admit but I still like it I still get a kick out of it but yeah not one of the better stories we've been presented with so far. I mean, I, I liked Hawkman gliding without his wings. Mm-hmm. I loved the Samson-like image of Superman bringing the walls down. That was just a really neat piece of art. Yeah. But, um, you know, this whole... We, they keep teasing the Injustice Society, and in retrospect, it's all for a lot of nothing. But yes. we'll get to that later. <laughs> uh, but, but it's just like, you know... It, I think I've said this before. I don't know if I've said it on this show or another show that I'm on. But I love that Blue Beetle series from 1986 Mm -hmm. that Len Wein wrote with Paris Cullens doing the art. Fantastic series. One problem I had with it was they had a storyline that they literally had a subplot going for 16 issues. Mm -hmm. And after a while... the whole Pago Island thing, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And after a while, I just lose interest. Yeah. I'm like, look, pay it off. It's it, it's it's 
not to go into something we did last episode, but it's one of the problems I have with comics now is that they tease something and it takes them like five years to get it to pay off. And that's a shitty way to treat your readers. It's like, oh, just wait, 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 wait. I've got this idea, but I've got 16 stories to tell before I get to that idea. Right. So just wait. It'll be cool. But right now i got to focus on uh, on this. This is important now. Pay no attention to the idea behind the curtain. <laughs> so. I don't know. It's just, like you said, it's not a bad issue, but it's not an issue that I'm like, yay! Right. Uh, I like that the panel of Superman doing the Samson thing actually mentions Samson, you know, yeah. like another man of legend. I really like that. And uh, the other panel I really, really like in this with Superman specifically is after he jumps trying to save Power Girl and he fails and he crashes to the ground, that image of him lifting himself off the ground, damn if that's not right out of one of the Fleischer cartoons. I really, really like that. You know, with the cape all draped across his back and all that. That's just beautiful. No, it's good art, decent story, just nothing to get me excited about. Right. Uh, Which which can mean only one thing, that we were getting into the ads. Yeah. There's some good stuff in this. (laughs) Yes, there is. I fucking love the hostess ad in this one. It's well, not only the hostess ad, but just some of the other things, because we're really getting around to some changes in DC's history. In this oh, yeah. Movie. So uh, you want to take us away again? Sure, I'll do it if you want. The first one, again, with the fucking bodybuilding thing. What What is up with this, all right? We're sedentary. We don't bodybuild. All right, we'll skip over the uh, the hostess I ad. am going to make a million dollars, though, off of my concept of a... Comic book weight loss weightlifting program based on doing different things with your short and long boxes. Because <laughs> seriously, move your boxes around, you'll lose some freaking weight. Oh yeah, especially yeah. if you have a collection like you or I have, yep. where it's just like, oh god, it takes you all day to file. And- mm-hmm. <laughs> That's why I've sworn I'm not going to move again. I'm never moving again. Because the last time I had to move my collection, oh my god. I was, yeah, if you move again, I'll come help. You. <laughs> yeah, right. I, I'll be minus some I, boxes at the. No, oh yeah, no. You're the one who said. You're the one who's threatening to steal some of my shit. I don't want to hear that. <laughs> Next up, we uh, we skip over the hostess ad, of course, to get to another house ad announcing dollar comics. I like- eighty pages, all new stories. Mm-hmm. I like this. I liked dollar comics because, damn, I mean, back in the day, a dollar for a comic was a hell of a lot of money, but 80 freaking pages, man. You got a lot of content. I mean, there was, they jam-packed them full with a lot of good stuff. I, I liked dollar comics. I, I particularly liked the, the Batman and Superman lines of dollar comics because, you, know, you, yeah. you know, you got some new content. You got some – characters, you got some reprints. It was neat, you know? Like like a Batman issue, for example, of Dollar Comics might give you, like, one or two Batman stories, maybe one one story of Robin solo, maybe a Batgirl solo, and then maybe, like, a, a Batman tale from the Golden Age, and then somebody just... Somebody that they threw in, like, I don't know, like, Green Arrow or... Some golden age detective that story that you'd never heard of, you know, like Jim Jones and the tale of the stolen whatever the fuck, you know, and it was like, wow, this is really cool because it was a, it was a glimpse back in history that, you know, today we, you know, it, it doesn't seem so special because you can go to like borders and there's, you know, all these trade collections and all. But back in the day, that was how you discovered old stories was when they were reprinted like this. And I love that stuff. 
more than that, it, it takes me back to my early, early days of, of reading comics before it became all about getting an entire run, mm-hmm. before reading something or having you know a couple thousand to choose from, is that when you got a book like this, you knew it was going to last you a while. Especially if you were on like a, a, a car trip or something, you knew it was going to take you a while to get through it, and you just totally got lost in mm-hmm. it. I'm the same way, uh, it's, I've kind of lost it a bit now, but it was like if there was ever a text piece or a, or, or a really good letters column, I'd get lost in that for a time right. period, too. And just, just, it's where, again, this is a time period where DC really appreciated their own past, or at least thought, well, we can throw this in and not have to pay for it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I like to think of it the other way, but, you know, whatever. But we've got a Superman family with a Neil Adams cover mm-hmm. of Superman holding Lois Lane and Jimmy Olsen getting a dream where's his hand and why is she smiling uh and, and crypto right on the bottom that is neil adams yes it? yeah both of them are and they got a house of mystery which i'm not a big mystery but I'll, you know what at this point i'll read just about anything i like that, that of this era because it's oh uh, it's a great yeah it's a bunch of kids being attacked by a giant um venus flytrap and it reminds me of that the opening and closing story to creep show 2 with the uh, yes. giant venus flytrap that's pretty cool you know what i uh, noticed this page says absolutely no reprints so am i wrong or did they end wow. up backtracking on that because i'd swear that some of these dollar comics have some reprints of, in them some of them did but i bet you anything this is where they were throwing old inventory because in talking to some some writers and artists of this era and a little later, DC would just, if you were contracted to write a certain number of pages, sometimes you would burn those pages up writing like an eight-page mystery story that would be drawn by some newcomer artist and thrown in a drawer right? until they got ready to, uh, to publish it in something like this. But at the bottom, it's DC's next two Dynamite Dollar Comics, World's Finest... Which has Superman and Batman, of course. Wonder Woman. That's this is around the time World's Finest became a Superman Batman book again, because in the early seventies it was a Superman team up book. Right. Uh, Green Arrow, Black Canary, and the Vigilante. This was before Shazam became part of mm-hmm. it. I'm guessing I guess, uh, he had his own title still. Yeah. Uh, and GI Combat. You know, I've never been a big war comic fan, but again, it would be interesting to kind of go back and read some of this stuff. Just to see what it was like. Uh, the only two issues that I, I believe that I have a GI combat are the uh, the crisis related ones, and I didn't think much of them to be honest. I'm not a war person either. You know, war comics. Uh, next up, did you have a dinky starfish? I didn't. I knew you were going to ask me that, but no, I did not. But I, I always thought this thing looked really cool, despite the fact that the shuttlecraft is coming out of like the engineering section. It's still pretty cool. <laughs> That's <laughs> got Space 1999 stuff. And, or is that all? Yeah, the Space 1999. <laughs> UFO. Yeah. Uh, Spectrum's pursuit vehicle. A Thunderbirds thing. I've never been a big marionette fan of Thunderbirds and stuff like that. Yeah, I miss though that I've never whole seen, thing. Though I've never seen Supercar, so I can't really, you know, make a, make a clear opinion on that. Uh, we got a creepy kid selling grit. <laughs> he is creepy, too. <laughs> Ah, it's like I just I just burned a bunch of ants with my magnifying glass. Time to go sell some grit. 
there is in the middle of the book, and now we interrupt this comic to bring you a word from your new publisher. And this is where Jeanette Kahn basically made her presence known to the readers. And I was thinking about that this morning while I was getting ready to record. Is this is the time period where DC really started trying to do what Marvel did in terms of connecting with their audience. Mm-hmm. Uh, DC was one of the first places to start running letters, and that's kind of how comic book fandom, as an organized force to be reckoned with, got started. But they never had that, hey, it's Stan Lee here, and we were all hanging out in the bullpen, having a cup of coffee, looking at some racetrack forms, and checking out Flo's Gams, and we just thought you'd like to know what we were doing up here. You know, DC didn't have that. They were buttoned up in the 60s. Right. And I think Jeanette Kahn and the, the other people that were coming into DC, because this was, this was a severe change of power for DC Comics. Mm-hmm. This is when people like Saul Harrison and uh, Leibowitz, Jack Leibowitz, and, and some of the other like you know old guards started stepping away, and you had some new blood coming in. And uh, this is a published Oriole from her where she's basically introducing herself, you know, and saying, you know, I'm the president and publisher. There's a, you know, there's a president. Uh, there's a, you know, Joe Orlando is the managing editor. Vince Coletta is the art director. And it seems like they were trying to organize DC Comics. You know, last issue I was complaining that everything had to be the same in DC. It seemed at this era they were trying to get it organized, but organized in different areas. Right. Like you know. You know, we want to be. We want to have the best comics. We want you to buy all of them, but at the same time, and this could all just be hype. You know, we want. You know, we want you to enjoy the books that we're doing. So if you like, you know, if you like war comics, we have war comics. If you like mystery comics, we have mystery comics. We have a buttload of superhero books. So, and she gives all that whole thing. But at the bottom, there's a there. <laughs> there's a sketch of Jeanette Kahn by Neil Adams. Mm-hmm. And I love this comment. Why does this picture look like Mary? Yeah, that's what I've always focused on, too, because she does look just like Mary Tyler Moore. <laughs> and they're basically giving art directions on the on the thing, and, and it says, From the desk of Jack Adler, Dear Jeanette, I will see to it this drawing of you by Neil Adams is never printed. Neil is at this moment making the corrections you indicated, and I will use the corrected art as soon as it comes back from the studio. <laughs> Uh, you know, it's a good thing that I've never done that. You know, when someone you know asks me if we're recording, I tell them when we're recording. So, uh, okay, that's good. But the, but the next page, a toll-free hotline to call for DC news. Did you ever do this? No, no, that's a very good idea, though. I mean, it's a it's a different idea for DC. But no, I never did. The only the only thing I ever called into was the uh, the poll for Robin. I did call. You actually called. Oh yeah, yeah, I did. Are you uh, are you thinking of organizing a class action lawsuit against DC? <laughs> I ought to because I was one of the ones that uh, voted for him to die, and then the you know I had spent money on that shit. So the fact that they brought him <laughs> back, yeah, you're right. I ought to. <laughs> but it says now you can call toll free to the DC Direct Currents Hotline. Call 800-223-7760. If in New York State, callers dial another number. And it says, here are writers, artists, and editors with a new report starting every Monday. I need to call that number and see what it goes to now. It's probably, well, it's probably like 1-800-2-FIST-ME. Yeah, exactly. So. <laughs> 
But you uh, you have some uh, you have a, a piece of Kurt Schaffenberger art right there with uh, Clark in a fo- uh, Superman in a phone booth holding his Clark Kent outfit. So uh, I mean, it's just you can tell in this with this issue that something has changed mm-hmm. and that they're trying to rebrand their books. Mm-hmm. And there's a sense of excitement that you can feel from the ads uh, that continues for a couple more years. Mm-hmm. So we got the Amazing World of DC Comics number 13 again with that Jonah Hex thing. Uh, make money customizing car vans, cycles, buggies, inside <laughs> buggies. <laughs> Horse buggies? I guess they're talking... <laughs> Back when dune buggies were a big deal. Yeah. Here's another get-a-job hippie ad. Your dreams can become a reality with a DuraClean service business. Oh, God. From Pyramid Industries. Yes, Pyramid Industry, taking your money for 150 years. <laughs> God in heaven. Pyramid Ski uh, Industries. There you go. You got a secret agent pen, uh, becoming a motorcycle mechanic, and then enter the DC Superstar Galaxy of Goodies. Mm-hmm. There is a Super Friends car, the wildest thing on four wheels. Driving will never be the same. <laughs> I'm uh, trying to remember who that. was in that because I know Aquaman's the driver. I think it's Robin is the one next to him, but I'm not sure. But it was Aquaman. Who the hell is Aquaman driving? What the, What else is he going to do? <laughs> I mean, he's on, he's on land. He might as well drive. I mean, you know. <laughs> Talking to fish yeah. ability is not going to do him very much on the on the fucking New Jersey Turnpike, you know. So you got to pull your weight, Hawk. I mean, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Nothing's going to do you any good on the New Jersey Turnpike. <laughs> uh, double dynamite, the Batmobile and the Batboat. I think I, I think those. I had one of those too. Yeah. Talk about parking predicaments. You'll love having your own bat goodies. Think of the added thrills in the bat tub. Holy dumb puns. Oh, <laughs> Friction powered for endless fun. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> My favorite women have been friction powered, but that's a whole different story. <laughs> uh, see the light with funky flashlights that need no batteries. You know what? It's kind of funny. I have a modern-day version of one of these. Because these are these things that you pop the thing open and rev it a couple of times, and you can use the light. Uh, okay. uh, I got one while I was in Metropolis. It has Superman on it. Uh, it looks a little newfangled compared to this. And then, you know, and I've just downloaded a bunch of these from a website. Thrill to the adventures of Superman and Batman. Mm-hmm. Here are the exciting exploits of the world's greatest superheroes. Superman and Batman come alive in these action-packed records. Have you ever heard the one where Superman talks to dolphins? No. That shit cracks me and Chris up. My, my co-host on Two True Freaks. I had one when I was a kid. And I, I never realized it until we got older and Chris pointed it out to me. But there was a part where I thought it was supposed to be the dolphins talking. And it turns out that it's actually Superman speaking dolphin. And he's going like, riz, riz, riz. And it, it's fucking hysterical. <laughs> it cracks me up every time I listen. I was like, oh, my God. How could you do that shit with a straight voice, man? I would just die laughing. No, I uh... – I didn't have a whole lot of power records when I was a kid because by the time I was like five and six years old, they were kind of on their way out Mm -hmm. at that point. I remember seeing some at school uh, that I don't know if they took away from some kid and then put into the (laughs) – 
and then put into the, the, the thing. I remember in second grade sitting there with this mini record player. We had a free period in our class because uh, it was like the day before Christmas or something, and I found a stack of Batman and Robin and Superman stuff, and I just sat there and listened to it for hours, or what seemed like hours. But recently I've been downloading these, because there's a number of sites that have them, and some of them are actually kind of neat. Mm-hmm. Because uh, they are really comics of this era brought to life. Right. Uh, the one that I have issues with is the Batman Christmas one, where it basically gives you the suggestion that Batman and Robin are just tooling around the streets of Gotham, walking around, and he's just like, oh, it's a lovely night, Robin. The air is so clean. Deck the halls with bells of holly, fa-la-la. And, <laughs> and we've had this, the Batman singing discussion. This is one of those times where Batman shouldn't, shouldn't sing. Going to police headquarters and singing with the guys, that's one thing. I'm sorry. If I'm walking down the streets of Gotham City and I see a guy in a Batman costume singing, I'm going to assume it's a drunk. <laughs> That's just me, though. <laughs> but, that, but that one had the best-named hitman ever. It's Rudolph something, or better known as Rudy the Red-Nosed Hitman. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, my God. That sounds like a hostess ad. <laughs> We're almost there, I think. Oh. Do we have any more? Oh, oh, we got a Daily Planet got a page. a Daily Planet page. Black Lightning Strikes. All righty. This, yeah, is this one that series uh, oh, with his afro? Love the afro. Well, it was a fake afro, too. That was the funny thing yeah. about it, was that he was he was actually playing to the black stereotype, which is, you know, that's kind of an ingenious idea when you think about it, that, you know, yeah. to protect his, his secret identity, you know, all that embarrassing jargon that you would see you know like there's a cover of a of a justice league of america issue not long in the future after this issue where it shows black lightning on the cover going uh join the justice league not with those jive turkeys and it's really embarrassing to look at dialogue like that but it turns out that all that shit was a put on that he was actually like a highly educated guy and everything that didn't talk like that at all but he wore that big-ass afro and talked that way when he was Black Lightning to throw people off the trail of his secret identity. I think that's actually a pretty cool idea. Oh, yeah. I mean, I've, I've never read this original series. Um, I've never actually read any. The, 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 I'm more familiar with him from Batman and the Outside. Right. Which made me look like a complete dork when I was in high school and watching that skit with Sinbad playing Black Lightning during the funeral of Superman on Saturday Night Live and Batman doesn't recognize him and I'm like, he should recognize him they were in the Outsiders together and then I feel like I was at a cast party for a play (laughs) and suddenly I felt every eye in the room on me (laughs) like I just said hey, I'm going to take a big old dump right here in the middle of the floor (laughs) anybody care? we got a trivia quiz, number 35 Black Lightning joins the DC ranks this week and is another one of our heroes with a colorful name. Can you name five other color-based heroes? Let me see. Um, Black Canary. Uh-huh. Black Orchid. Um, Green Arrow. Green, Arrow, Green Lantern. Green Lantern. Uh, Red Tornado. Yeah, there you go. There's five right there. Okay, very good. There's probably a whole bunch more that, that I'm, I'm not thinking of. I started to say Blue Beetle, but I don't think he was part of the canon at this point. <laughs> On sale the week of January the 3rd, 1977. 
Yeah, this had to be 77. You had Ghosts, number 53, Isis, number 4, Justice League, number 141, the JLA discover that no world escapes the Manhunters. That must have been that very famous story that inspired Millennium. Could be. With the Steve Englehart's the writer. Didn't he write Millennium? Yes, he did. Uh, Commandy number 50, a super surprise awaits you as Commandy meets the Death Worshippers. By Denny O'Neill and Dick Ayers. Hmm. Should be pretty good. Sergeant Rock number 301. And on sale at the same time as this issue was Action Comics number 469, DC Superstars number 13, special Sergio Aragonis. I have that issue. Detective Comics number 468, Batman and five guest stars battle the calculator. Why does it take five other people to help Batman fight the calculator? Because he's not very good at math, apparently. He needs to bring in some backup. <laughs> Unexpected, number 178, Weird Western Tales, number 39, Introducing Savage. Mm-hmm. Young Love, number 124. <laughs> <laughs> God, I love these Daily Planet. And it's free Yep. after you pay your, you know, 30 cents yeah. for the issue. It's free if you rip it out from the back of the con. <laughs> Now I want to. You mentioned Justice League number one forty one, and it put me in mind of something that I, I've been remiss about doing, and I, I want to make sure that uh, I do from now on. Using uh, a site that you turned me on to, um, Mike's Amazing World of DC Comics. That site is invaluable. I think it's a really awesome yes. site. I've been looking up where else the uh, the JSAers may have been popping up in the. DC DC Universe during this time, I'll be I'll be doing this much better from now on and actually making it relevant to the issues that we're talking about. But going back to uh, All Star number fifty eight, you know, from, from All Star fifty eight to this issue we're reviewing right now sixty five, I, I missed a couple of things, so I'll just touch on them real quick. Between All Star comics number sixty and sixty one, Wildcat teamed up with the Earth One Batman and Brave and the Bold number 127. It's not an issue I own, so I don't know if it's a good issue or a bad issue or what, but I'm, I imagine it's probably a uh, uh, Jim Aparo art in that one. So, you know, Jim Aparo art, you can't go wrong with that. Even if the story sucks, the art's still going to be beautiful. And if you've been wondering where Robin went, because, you know, we started this, uh, this adventure off with uh, Robin being one of the super squad, and then he just sort of disappeared. Well, the month after... All-Star Comics number 62 came out, began a three-part JLA-JSA crossover that ran through JLA issues 135 through 137. That was, uh, it's been a long, long time since I read that story, but I remember it being really awesome. You know, of course, it's very wordy as, as JLA stories of that time were. You know, they were very, very, very exposition heavy. And they featured Dick Dillon art, which... You know, I don't mean to knock the guy, but I was never the biggest Dick Dillon fan. But this uh, this crossover was pretty cool because, man, did it have a shitload of characters in it. Because you had, you know, the Justice League of America. Then you had the Justice Society, which in this tale featured Batman of Earth 2, Flash, Green Lantern, Johnny Thunder, Robin, Wonder Woman, and I think maybe even some other characters were in there. I believe the Earth 2 Joker shows up. You had all kinds of other villains like Dr. Light and the Shade show up, but the probably the thing that was, this was uh, the biggest deal in this was that this is where Earth S was brought in, and uh, 
in 135, you had characters like Bullet Man and Bullet Girl, Ibis the Invincible, Mr. Scarlet and Pinky and the Spy Smasher. Well, this all culminated with number 137. You had this awesome cover of Superman and Captain Shazam Marvel about to beat the piss out of each other. This never really happens in the issue, unfortunately. The the entire meeting comes off as a little bit disappointing, but it's still pretty cool that this was the story that finally brought the the Marvel family, you know, the Captain Marvel family into the DC fold and, and, and really made them, you know, a cemented part of that whole universe. Unfortunately, I did not have time before this recording to reread this story. I, I kind of intended to, to flip back through it just to refresh myself. And I just didn't really get time. But I was curious. I don't know. Should I spoil this or not, Mike, that, that the Earth 2 Batman's going to... Well, he did already show up, right? Didn't he show up or did he not? No, we haven't seen no, we haven't. Yet. Okay, so I'm not sure if I should spoil that or not. Rather than spoil ahead, um, when we come to uh, to one element of this story, I'll, I'll just mention back on it. In, a, in an upcoming episode, one of these characters is going to make an appearance, and I'll just reference back to uh, what was going on with him in this particular story. But, uh, yeah, um, now you and I had discussed this before, that uh, we weren't necessarily going to cover, uh, you know, that we are going to cover JSA and jsa or Adventures in other titles, but we were not specifically going to cover them in, in Justice League. We'd also discussed, you know, we, we were going to just basically refer people to uh, a podcast called Tom versus the JLA, which, uh, you know, we felt like really covered that material much, you know, really well and maybe even better than we could. You know, at least, he, you know, he, he has a really funny take on that material. Unfortunately, I discovered. <laughs> that Tom's reviews didn't start until JLA number 163, so he actually didn't cover oh. this particular story. So I'm not sure. Maybe at some point we'll come back and, and, and look at it a little bit and, and you know do a, a quick and dirty summary of it or something like that. But it's not one of my favorite stories, so I just thought, for now, you're just going to have to be content with the fact that I put you onto it and told you about it and... What do you want for nothing? <laughs> you teased him, Scott. You teased him and didn't finish him off. <laughs> Sorry about that. You left them with blue bags. Oh. <laughs> Ew. <laughs> oh, you know what? I almost forgot. We still got the uh, the hostess ad. <clears throat> oh, God. Yes, we do. Oh, my. All right. Now, I don't want to bogart the hero because I, I think I did the hero last time. But I love Aquaman. So can I read okay, Aquaman? Yeah, you can. Yes, you can okay, read Okay, I'll read Aquaman. So we have Aquaman and Twinkies Cakes in that dirty beach. <laughs> now, you can't tell me that they didn't realize how that was going to sound. <laughs> Grime of the century closes beaches. Shocking reports of undersea creatures attacking swimmers. Aquaman, I know I can depend upon you to remove this stain from our beaches. Without your help, our beaches are sunk. Sunk. <laughs> Something smells fishy. I'll investigate. You can depend on me. Without the beaches, who will buy suntan lotion? No beaches, nobody buys bathing suits. These guys are in suits, by the way. <laughs> and then apparently, a cook. <laughs> I thought he was from the a nearby short, short order place says, You better do something fast. Holy mackerel, I'm entering troubled waters. These sharks aren't responding to my call. It looks like I'll have to fight them tooth and fin. And then this 
demon-looking thing shows up with a with an aqua, uh, with an octopus bottom. Aquaman, you land lover. Humans pollute our homes, and now I'm getting even. If you take a stand against me, it will be your own downfall. Sludgejack, you're fighting dirty. Besides, two wrongs don't make a right. Now try my right on for size. Whap! <laughs> the answer is to negotiate with Sludgejack. But you'll need pretty good bait to keep it, uh, to get him to the bargaining table. Delicious hostess Twinkie cakes will be just the thing to clear up this mess. Later, agreed. Now we've got clean beaches and a new undersea treat. Hostess Twinkie cakes, delicious whale of a taste. Scrumptious hostess cakes, the best food on land and in the sea, because you'll get a big delight in every bite of Hostess Twinkie cakes. Yeah, they got to eat in that bubble, otherwise those Twinkies are just going to fall apart. Be all gross and mushy and ugh, nasty. All right, now if I interpret this tale correctly, now this guy, he's got a legitimate beef that humans have been dumping all kinds of shit into their home for years. So he's called yeah. the sharks out. To basically shut down the beaches because he's got a legitimate beef. So what do they do? They bribe the guy with fucking Twinkies. I just was this written by Al Gore? <laughs> this what it, I'm sorry, that was a that was a tremendously bad political joke. So right. the humans are free to continue to dump whatever the hell they yeah. want to into the sea, so long as they continue to, to hook this guy up with Twinkies. <laughs> Well, I'm just, I'm just really upset that these, like, the two guys are coming to the the beach in like suits and vests and stuff. And, and what is with that short order go? <laughs> but more than that, I just, I don't like the overly ecological. <laughs> this isn't just a Twinkie ad. This is a plea to clean up the beach. Right. And, and I don't know if the two go together necessarily. <laughs> kind of takes all the fun out of it. I mean, last time we had a dude that was making people disappear into, into an organ. And now we got, oh, by the way, you humans suck. So, Well, this is the second time we've been told that we suck because those other aliens wanted to destroy the whole freaking planet because they thought that we suck. So, <laughs> Well, we agreed with them on that yeah. because that's just, you know, nothing good ever came of Earth. Blow it up. Blow it the fuck up. <laughs> Art. Art, music, eh. political systems—you know, just just the general things that we've done with the earth. Yeah, let's just destroy it. But ooh, cupcake. <laughs> Though I do like me a Hostess cupcake. So there you go. You better hope the Hostess never goes out of business, or we're fucked. You do realize, of course, the next time we meet, we have to take pictures of ourselves with Hostess <laughs> for the show. <laughs> All right, what else do we got for this one here? Um, that is it. Um, um, uh, other than where else? Th- oh, wait, no, I'm completely forgetting. We have a character profile. I almost completely forgot. <gasps> this, t- this time we went to one of the big guns of the Golden Age, Mr. Alan Scott himself, Green Lantern, since he's being all kind of a gloomy Gus lately. <laughs> Why do we always discuss these characters right at the time they're being like the biggest jackasses on the face <laughs> of the planet? But uh, Green Lantern was created by Bill Finger and Martin Nodell and first appeared in All-American Comics number 16, which was July 1940. Now, this is an interesting thing about the Golden Age origin of these characters, as I've read a bunch of them lately, is that usually they did not adopt a costume till the very end of the story. Like, they would have their first adventure, and then they would put on a costume. And this was the case with, with Alan Scott. He was a young railroad engineer who is... Uh, I have some commentary. What are you laughing at? Well, of course, if you're not a 
hero yet, then you're just an idiot running around in a costume. You gotta do something to earn it first. Then people will laugh at you. You're just running around in a costume waiting for something to happen so you can fix it. They're gonna lock you up. <laughs> Words of wisdom from Rachel Bailey, folks. Uh, <laughs> have fun with your Wii. <laughs> that sounded bad. Anyway. <laughs> At this point, Alan Scott was a young railroad engineer, and he finds a lantern that turns out to be made from a mystical green meteorite flame-type thing that fell to Earth with a prophecy. The flame would act three times. Once to bring death, which it does in ancient China. Once to bring life, which it does in the 1800s when when a man in an insane asylum, who was apparently a paranoid schizophrenic, crafts it into a lantern and it it, it makes him sane again so it gifted him with a new life and wants to bring power now Scott is involved in an act of sabotage a little William Shatter (laughs) humor there for you Um, and survived thanks to the lantern and with the metal he fashioned a ring and after avenging the attempt on his life he became the Green Lantern and I shed my light over dark evil, because dark evil cannot stand the light. The light of Green Lantern. That's not in the notes. I just remember it. <laughs> I you remember are a big dork. <laughs> he continued to fight crime, and eventually took on a sidekick with cabbie Doiby Dickles. I like Doiby Dickles. I like Doiby. Yeah, you can't not like him. You can't like you can't. You got to feel for like the the kind of city cabbie with a Brooklyn accent, even though they were in Capital City, uh, who eventually just hooks up with some hot alien chick who's just like, I dig this guy. I mean, he probably smells like fifteen year old cigars and feet. <laughs> but, but that might be like a turn on for her. I don't know. Uh, he bummed around searching for a city to call home. He was in Metropolis and All Star Comics number seventeen, and then New York City the next. But he would eventually settle in the previously mentioned Capital City, where he took a job as a radio engineer with Apex Broadcasting because he wanted to be like Superman. And he figured if he worked in a radio station, he could hear news reports of where Green Lantern would be needed. He fought Solomon Grundy, the Icicle, and eventually his own secretary, whose name was Molly, uh, who took on the villainous identity of the Harlequin. Oh, that's right. And he, uh, he, he was a member of the JSA and retired with the rest of them in the 1950s. Now, this is, I'm going to ask you, because I don't know if you've read it yet. You picked up a copy of Green Lantern number 40 recently at a flea market. Yep. Did you read it? I have not had a chance to read it yet, unfortunately. Okay. Because there, they kind of half-ass tied the Golden Age Green Lantern into the modern, that they basically took all the magic in the universe the Guardians did at one point and threw it into Earth 2, and that's the Star Heart. Right, right, which, yeah. Which uh, which would give... And that had already been revealed, so I don't think I'm out of turn on see, that. See, I was trying to figure... I was See, I'm, I'm, I'm not horribly familiar with the backstory of, of Green Lantern, but I was trying to remember... I, I wasn't aware that it was in number 40 necessarily, but I was trying to remember that there was a time... Because Alan Scott kept appearing regularly alongside Hal Jordan in Hal Jordan's Green Lantern run in the early days. Uh-huh. And I remember that eventually... Somehow there was a half-assed attempt to tie Alan Scott 
to the Guardians and the overall Green Lantern Corps, I just couldn't remember what the hell it was. And yeah, that's what it was. It was that whole deal with the Star Heart yeah. and all that. Which really isn't a bad way to explain no, no, it. No, it's not. Because it, it, it does tie the two together. It's retroactive continuity, but it works. Well, not... I, I, I'm sorry, not, go, not to spoil ahead. ahead, but when he eventually adopted the identity of the Sentinel, wasn't it that he had, like, the star heart inside of him or some shit like that? Yes. Yeah, yeah it was something like that, and that made him young again as yeah. well. So... But that's that's after the crisis, right? Right. So that that's that's kind of far far ahead into. Yeah. Uh, like I say, I'm not trying to spoil ahead. I'm just trying to get all the shit straight in my own head because I. Yeah. Well, frankly, it's going to be about two or three years before we get to yeah. that. So. <laughs> They'll forget by then. <laughs> uh, but we won't, and that's why we do podcasts. <laughs> but uh, no, it was. Um, I like the Golden Age Green Lantern. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've always liked his costume, even though he was obviously colorblind. <laughs> uh, and probably couldn't distinguish between purples, reds, and greens. He just wasn't married. He didn't have a wife like mine to tell him, you are not leaving the fucking house worth that. That's <laughs> terrible. It's true. I remember when I first met my wife. You're wearing a denim button-down with denim jeans. That doesn't go right. A Boba Fett shirt and dress pants does not go together. You're not going to Walmart with me wearing that. <laughs> <laughs> I just wear a lot of black. That seems to make her happy. So <laughs> I'm like Johnny Cash. <laughs> yeah, you keep going on thinking that, pal. <laughs> I am going to rewrite the Johnny Cash song "One Piece at a Time" for a comic book collection at one point. At some point, I got Logan a Dengar figure for Christmas. Did you ever notice Dengar looks exactly like Johnny Cash? <laughs> I swear to God, he's like no, he's like I, a mummy cyborg Johnny Cash. It's kind of frightening, actually. A mummy cyborg Johnny Cash. <laughs> That's probably what Johnny Cash is right now. They <laughs> just turned him into Dengar. <laughs> Who the hell likes Dengar? That would make for one scary fucking bounty hunter in real life, though. If you if you like did something wrong, and instead of calling out like the law or the U.S. Marshals, they send a cyborg mummy Johnny Cash after you, that would scare the piss out of me. Uh, I shot a man of Moss Eisley just to watch him die. <laughs> Oh, God, I hope people don't mind us crossing the streams as much as we do. <laughs> I have a feeling that's the shit. That How did we get from Green Lantern to Mummy Cyborg Johnny Cash? <laughs> uh, oh. That sounds oh, like the name hurts. of a band, doesn't it? <laughs> Mummy Cyborg Johnny Cash. Just ask Chris. I'm sure he was in a band at a point called Mummy Sweatboard Johnny Cash. Oh, my God. <sighs> okay, that's, that's almost it. <laughs> uh, we just got our one more thing, uh, Chris, before we end this. Chris! Oh, Scott, sorry. You don't even know who you're talking to. All right, this issue... It was that fun. <laughs> Star Comics number... Uh, what the hell number were we doing? 65? Yeah, it was was reprinted in Justice Society Volume 1 trade paperback. (laughs) Let's pack this one in. 
You've been listening to Tales of the Justice Society of America, hosted by Scott H. Gardner and Michael R. Bailey. You can email the show by writing to talesofthejsa at gmail.com. You can find the show at two, yes, count them, two websites. The first being www.fortressofbailey2.com. You can also find the show and subscribe to it through iTunes at www.twotruefreaks.libsyn.com. Scott has two other podcasts that he co-hosts on a weekly basis. The first is Two True Freaks, which Scott hosts with his childhood friend and former weightlifting partner of Lou Ferrigno, Chris Honeywell. Then there's Back to the Bins, which Scott co-hosts with a cavalcade of podcasting's finest hosts. Both of those can be found at www.twotruefreaks.libson.com. Mike has two other podcasts he hosts or co-hosts as well. The first is Views from the Long Box, which Mike hosts all by his lonesome for the most part. And you can find that at www.viewsfromthelongbox.com. Then there's the From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast, which Mike hosts with Jeffrey Taylor. That show can be found at both www.supermanhomepage.com and www.fortressofbailytude.com. Thank you for listening, and join us next week as we present more Tales of the Justice Society of America. Because I don't think that every super. Oh, oh, there you go. There you go. There's a Dr. Pepper Pelt. Sorry. For it. No, no, I'm don't so apologize. Sorry. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs>